Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential and grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? That's the question in this podcast will help you with those answers. My name is Brent and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. My name is Brent and my special guest today is Don Abad. Don, welcome to the show. Hey Brent, good to see you. I appreciate you checking in. Don is checking in with us from the other side of the world, so it is the middle of the night for him. So I'm grateful for being able to sync up and do this show with you, man. I appreciate it. Don, I don't do big introductions. I used to, I stopped doing it because I get to research you guys before the show, but that just doesn't really convey to my audience who you are. So in your own words, who is Don Abad? I always like to preface this answer with, I wear a lot of hats, but I'm a storyteller at heart. Because I think as really, as far as I remember, I never wanted to be put into a box and I don't think anybody could ever put me into a box. I remember, you know, the question that we always get asked as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I could never answer that question. I asked my mom one time, what's a career? What's a profession that you can basically hop in and out of whatever role you want at a whim, at a moment's notice? And I remember her giving me the answer that scientists are able to do whatever they want. And I think looking back, I think she meant that there are different types of scientists, so I could choose what type of scientist I wanted to be. But in my little six-year-old brain or whatever it was, however old I was, I thought that meant that as a scientist, if I became a scientist, I could be a race car driver one day, then I, if I got bored of that, I could be a scuba diver, then I can be an astronaut, then an engineer, whatever I wanted to do. And so I thought I'd be a scientist. And entrepreneurship was never something that was, it wasn't in anyone's vocabulary. I mean, this was the, the mid nineties. So I discovered later on that I had that entrepreneurial bone and that's really the type of personality that can't be fit into a box anyway, but it was a long journey of self-discovery. And I'm also in the arts, particularly filmmaking. That's my passion. I love writing stories, telling stories, and somewhere along the line, I took up my dad's, what you call a VH camera for your younger listeners out there. It's a <laughs> ancient piece of technology. I'd take that VHS camera and I'd go to school and I'd just video my friend, just take them doing some skit that I cooked up in my head the night before, and I love it. I just love the art and craft of taking something from my head and making it real in a visual format. So filmmaking has stuck with me all my life and I'm still doing it somewhat now, of course, with the pandemics, it's a little tough to really get some projects going, especially here in the Philippines where we still have a lot of restrictions. But anyway, there was a point where, you know, the word struggling artist is a cliche for a reason because I like so many people who are in the arts, who are creatives, I didn't know how to monetize my passions. And unfortunately, asking other people around wasn't really a big help because really the path that I want to take in life was unusual from the very beginning. I remember asking one of my professors in university, well, he asked me the same question, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do after you graduate? And I answered filmmaking. And then he just took one look at me and then he said, so you don't want to make any money? And 
I knew he was half joking, but jokes are half men anyway. And it didn't deter me or anything. But again, that's why it took me a long time to really find my flow and what I wanted to do professionally. And fast forward a little bit, I met my wife and her, she and her family have been involved in the network marketing industry for 10 years at the time we met. That was seven years ago. And I knew about network marketing. The Philippines is basically the mecca for network marketing. I've been pitched left and right by every opportunity under the sun. And my mom's in one, actually, a big company. I knew the business model worked, but as a filmmaker, I thought it wasn't for me. But when my wife took me to one of her conventions, I discovered people just like myself, young guys at the time, filmmakers, artists, even got C-suite people, you got engineers, architects, accountants, all walks of life, single, married. And I realized that uh, all of these people, they had one thing in common. It's not that they're natural business people or math people or logical, melancholic people. They had a dream and they wanted to find a vehicle and mentorship to make it whatever that dream is a reality. And that basically sucked me in. And I don't want to go into too much detail. You can ask me later on if you want to talk about my experience in the industry. But suffice it to say that really drew me down the, the rabbit hole of entrepreneurship. And now I sort of combine both of my passions. I discovered that business is a passion of mine. And uh, I combined that with my love of film and now I run a creative agency and, and really my, one of my big missions is to empower and to educate and to inspire people like myself, struggling artists to consider entrepreneurship because I think that's the missing link with so many people like myself. There's so many talented people with amazing stories to tell, but they just don't know how to monetize that story. And in this world, I think we need more voices being uplifted and the sovereign brand, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on is really built for that as a platform to inspire other artists and really anybody who has a message to share, no matter what their background or profession is, to be able to create a platform, build a brand and tell that story. Okay. So here's the hard question of the show, right? If you can handle this, you got everything. What's your favorite ice cream? The first thing that popped in my mind is chicken flavored ice cream it's a long story but here in the philippines we got some weird ice cream flavors my dad always <laughs> brings up all these exotic flavors and brings these ice creams home that you'd never find anywhere else in the world i'll keep it simple and say rocky road i'm now of, of all the of all the exotic flavors i'll settle on rocky road i'm really curious now is chicken ice cream actually a thing it is actually a thing wow okay here at least. I don't know if it exists in any other part of the world. That's very original. I've heard yeah. a lot of things. The only other thing that even came close is there was a burnt fig and almond that's some really high-end thing in Sydney that one of my guests likes. I was like, I I don't even I can't even imagine that. So yeah. Rocky Road is a great flavor, but chicken ice cream is definitely an interesting idea. But hey, that's one of the cool things about talking to people internationally is you get to explore a whole new world out there. There's ketchup yep. flavored Doritos in Canada. Uh-huh. My friend introduced me to. I was like, ketchup flavored Doritos. Why why would you do that? Ketchup flavored Doritos. Yeah. That's new. Yeah, right? So, Don, you you said your wife, you've been together for seven years, you have kids. Yep. Two-year-old boy. Congratulations. Thank you. Family life is always fun. I noticed that's one of your big things, faith, family, and freedom. Mm -hmm. We'll get into yep. that in a second. Now, tell me a little bit about Team Sovereign, your business. 
while team sovereign. I like to differentiate between different ventures that I have because they're all under the umbrella of sovereign. Team sovereign in particular, since you asked, is specifically for my network marketing ventures. So I have a podcast. I have two podcasts. The Sovereign Podcast is one of them. That's my flagship show. I interview great people. And my second podcast is Your Sovereign Downline. And it sort of documents my whole journey, both my wife, Kimmy, and I in the industry, the network marketing industry. And Team Sovereign is my downline. It's I also coach people, not even necessarily in my team or my company, but is are in the industry. And that's basically it. It's, it's my coaching program for anybody in the network marketing industry. Okay. So you have your coaching program and you have mm-hmm. your downline podcast and then you have yep. your sovereign with Donna Bod. Yep. What's your podcast about? Sovereign is about faith, family, freedom. And I interview people who live those three, what I call foundations of life out to their fullest extent. And uh, you're telling me before we started that uh, you were listening to my, to one of my interviews and I'm sure you caught it near, near the uh, end of the conversation. I always ask my guests, what is your definition of a sovereign human being? And that's sort of, if I'm honest, that's sort of a gimmick just to cap things off, just to give a thematic resonance to all of my episodes. Because mm-hmm. when I say what's a sovereign human being, the answer is in the stories that they tell throughout the conversation. They don't need to tell you what their definition is. It just puts their life into words, I guess, encapsulates in sort of a summary. But Sovereign is about helping you maximize that triad, that triad of Fs, faith, family, freedom, which I think that if you're able to get crystal clear on what your faith is, what family means to you, and if you embrace your freedom as a sovereign human being, then you'll be able to do pretty much anything you want in life. While we're there, let's step into that. You say faith, family, freedom are your core foundational values. Will you kind Mm -hmm. of dig into that a little bit? Sure. So faith. Now, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic, and I believe that God guides every single one of my steps. But I'm aware that not everybody shares that same belief system. But I still think that faith is a vital a vital facet of life to to maximize because what is faith faith is really just the belief that there's something beyond you that's guiding you toward whatever your destiny is so call it the universe i don't even like to use the word universe anymore but you know just to really accommodate those who don't share my belief system even whatever you call your higher whatever you call that higher being mm-hmm. if you believe, if you wholeheartedly accept the fact that you're a tiny little mortal human being on this earth, that is the beginning of humility. And once you have humility, your potential for growth is unlimited. But I think that you only are able to achieve true humility when you realize that there's somebody or something way, way, way beyond you, way, way, way beyond you in scope. That humbles you to be able to open yourself up to growth, whatever that growth needs to be in your life. So that's the role of faith. And then family, obviously it all starts and ends with family for so many people. And I was blessed enough to have grown up in a household with a present mother and father, a strong father who, you know, protected, provided, presided for the family, provided direction to the family. And a mother who's loving, nurturing, supportive, amazing parents, but just like faith, I know that a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have that setup. They weren't raised in a, in a traditional family household with a present mother and father. And in that case, family is still just as relevant to them. But sometimes it's a matter of 
not necessarily looking to the people who are blood related to you. Because again, a lot of people, they might not really have anybody who's blood related to them that they can connect with, that they can reach out to. Maybe they're all alone in the world. Well, if anyone watches the Fast and Furious franchise, they always talk about family. Family is a huge theme in Fast and Furious, but that ragtag team of guys and girls, the family wasn't created through blood, but just through bonds. So even if you don't have a present mother, father, grandparents, uncles, aunts, whoever, siblings you create your family and who's your family your family are the people who you can confide in in the most important things to you the people who share your most important core values who you can share maybe not your deepest darkest secrets but at least the dreams that maybe you're ashamed to talk about with anybody else because they're so heartfelt they're so deep they're so unusual your family are the people who will accept you for who you are and will provide the motivation and the encouragement and even the guidance to help you through, guide you through whatever challenges that you have. These are the human beings that you turn to throughout any of your challenges. And then freedom. Freedom that can go down a whole rabbit hole because freedom is such a contentious issue. And I know I'm, I am sure you have your own thoughts on this, uh, Brent, but freedom to me at its most basic level, it's a twofold thing freedom is. Freedom is the ability to do whatever you want, or really the acknowledgement that you can do whatever you want. I don't care who you are. You have choice. You have the power of choice. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people stop there. A lot of people stop. And that this is why a lot of people scoff at freedom nowadays. They just think that it's this sort of uniquely American value, even that uh, you can do whatever you want without regard for the consequences. And a lot of the time, the word freedom or people who love freedom are being portrayed as these people who lack responsibility or lack regard for other people's well-being. They just want to do whatever they want without thinking about the consequences of exercising that freedom. So this is what I say. That's just the first part of freedom. I think freedom isn't just doing what you want. It's also acknowledging the fact that there's responsibility. There's duty that comes packaged with freedom, right? Because what's freedom? Freedom really is a power. And I watched Spider-Man again with my sister earlier, and what's that great Spider-Man quote with great power comes great responsibility. So mm -hmm. I think that a person who exercises their freedom to the fullest extent not only understands and embraces the fact that they can do whatever they want, that they have the choice to control their destiny, control their life, the direction of their life, they also understand that it's not only about them. It's not only about those superficial pleasures. What do I want out of life? What do I want out of the situation? It's also knowing that because there's so much power in the fact that I can choose, I better make sure that the choices I make also have a positive impact on other people. And ultimately that leads to not just a successful life, but a significant life because anybody can find success, but unless you also have significance as a huge part of your life, paying it forward, doing things for people other than yourself, then I don't think you're ever going to live a f really, truly fulfilled life if you have success without significance. So that's freedom in a nutshell. Okay. I definitely have my thoughts on it, but I'm agreeing with you on a whole lot of that because I, a lot of the people I know who embrace freedom, I mean, as Americans to the fullest extent, I have a military family and a lot of military friends and those guys absolutely love and embrace freedom, but they're also willing to fight for it, to serve for it, to lay down their lives for it if they need to. They have a very, I don't know, civic duty of responsibility with yep. that. 
they know it's amazing and they know it's worth fighting for and worth serving for and giving back. I definitely, there, there is a lot, a lot of people get the idea wrong just because you have the freedom to do things doesn't mean there aren't ethics and morals that govern what you do with that. Right. I have the freedom to go to work sick. I don't because I find it unethical to put my coworkers at risk just because I can't afford to take a day off. I actually got into a fight several years with a guy ago. Back before I had paid time off when I was still working construction, I actually got into a fight with a coworker of that because he came into work sick as a dog. He's like, man, I can't afford to take time off. I was like, none of the rest of us can either, man. Knock out half the crew. Like literally knocked out half our crew for a week. And none of us could afford to take time off either. So yeah, no, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with that kind of freedom. And I love the Fast and Furious. My daughters were joking about that. They've never seen the Fast and Furious. They're seven and 10. But on some sitcom, they made fun of going, them family, right? The Vin Diesel bit. <laughs> and so my 10-year-old was walking around the other day going, we're family. <laughs> You've never even seen the movie, honey. She's like, but I've seen that part. But I always tell people, there's the family you're born with and you may get a really great deal. You may have an amazing family. I was very blessed to have a very tight-knit family that was always supportive and there for me. I know a lot of people who got the raw end of the stick on that, but then there's the family you surround yourself with that are an extension of that blood family or maybe a replacement or both. I have several friends around my house that are aunts and uncles, even though they're not blood related because they're at my house more than my family is. I got two of them. They have stockings at my house come Christmas time because as far as my kids are concerned, they're as uncle and aunt as their blood uncle and aunts are. So yeah, I think you have that. You can always find that family to surround yourself with. So I love the ideas. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm loving it. Now, can I ask you an off question, slightly off topic? Sure. You work with your wife in this business, right? Mm -hmm. Now as a, a man who also shares his business with his wife, right? My wife and I are equal partners in the business. I run into a lot of people who can't even imagine having to try and do that relationship. I don't find it really difficult to you. It depends on what we're trying to do. Yeah. So now how, about, how about for yourself? When you say equal partners, how do you share the load? So under my company umbrella, the Fallible Man LLC, we actually have DBAs on two other businesses. My wife does bookkeeping on the side. Okay. And so right now, actually, we're at a stage where her bookkeeping is actually paying for the company entirely. That's the only income we have generated from this, except for the occasional sell of a t-shirt or something, which is still very rare as we're growing, right? We're still very small, trying to get some marketing and advertising going this year and spread awareness about the brand. But the majority of the brand is being entirely funded by my wife. She doesn't do a lot of production that I do, but she's actually usually on these interviews. My mother lives with us. My father passed this last year and my mother lives with us and she usually watches the kids when I'm recording interviews. And so my wife is usually actually here in the interview doing all the screen switching and all the engineering for the interview. And she does all the engineering on my live streams and stuff like that. Some of the camera work on some of my other videos. So yeah. this is, all of our roles don't overlap, but she is neck deep in this with me. She also does a lot of the finance work on the back end of the business. We sit down and have 
major administrative discussions on our date nights when we really shouldn't be at talking business, but it's hard to not do when you have kids in your face the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. But she also homeschools my kids. So right now she's homeschooling the girls. That's why she's not actually in the interview right now. You know what, Brent, I should be interviewing you because <laughs> my wife and I aren't doing nearly that much work because uh, when I say my wife and I are in business together, the only legal official way that she's in my business is in our network marketing company. We're both on, we're both on the contract. We're both co-owners of that particular business. But when I say we work together, it's more along the lines of she keeps me accountable. She keeps me accountable because she knows what I do. She knows what I do inside and out. Mm -hmm. And whenever we're invited to speak, She's also invited to speak alongside me because we're pretty much a package for the most part. She appears with me on some of the podcasts. She keeps the finances in check and all that. But in terms of the technical stuff, she is not a techie. I'm not a techie either. I'm figuring all this stuff out. When I was asking you earlier about how this whole software works and Ecamm and all that, I like to keep things simple mm-hmm. as much as possible because my wife is really, you say that uh, yours homeschools your kids. My, my son's two years old and he's basically a teenager at this point and he is just requiring her full-time attention. And I mean, this was something that we agreed on, you know, obviously when we were still dating, we made it really clear what roles we want to play in each other's lives as husband and wife and her, it's really being the stay at home mom primarily and taking care of the kids, rearing the kids and supporting me in my ventures. And she just so happened to be the same person who introduced me into the world of entrepreneurship. So she has that guiding hand of sorts, but man, I can't imagine our lives doing everything that you're doing now together (laughs) while raising, you have two girls, right? Yeah. Seven and 10. It's off to you, man. <laughs> I should be interviewing you. You should come on my show and tell me your secrets. I, anytime, man. I don't know if I got any secrets, but <laughs> the, the answer is you just learn to make it work, right? Yep. Always. Uh, Sarah Sarah is not a techie. I actually work in the IT industry for mm. my normal nine to five job. And so, you know, I taught her how to do stuff and I purposely made software choices. Like this, this is a super user inter- friendly interface for the software. That's one of the reasons... That's one of their foundations at the company for StreamYard is keeping things super, super user-friendly so that anybody can use their software is the idea. But no, we we have our roles and she, like I said, she usually is on doing the engineering. My mom is out of town visiting my sister, so she can't be here. She's, my mom helps out when she's doing something like this with me, but yeah, we make it work. That's been a huge blessing having my mom move in with us has really actually effectively made it a little easier for my wife to take a bigger role. Mm-hmm. All right. I just had to ask, I don't meet many other guys who are like doing the partnership thing with their spouse. Right. It's an interesting world when you start doing it. Yeah. And it is interesting because I think that I don't know how many other guys you met where both spouses work in the business, but. I think this conversation right now is proving that every spouse has their own dynamic, both on a official legal level and on a relationship level and skill level as well. So I think you learn something every time you ask somebody, whether a man or a woman, how they work with their spouse, because I think everybody has their own style that they just have to slide into. Both my wife and I are still getting used to this whole setup because it's only now that we're really doubling down on the sovereign brand. And now that our two-year-old is, you know, transitioning from the terrible twos into the terroristic threes. <laughs> it's going to be a whole host of challenges that are coming up later on. So yeah, 
uh, making it work. And I think the other side of that also is you have to learn to adapt. Yeah. Especially if you have kids, I mean, particularly if you have kids. <laughs> it's entertaining because I, I have to be cognizant. Like my 10 year old watches my live streams on Monday night. I tell you I live stream on Mondays. My 10 year old sitting there watching the live stream. Hmm. My, my seven year old's not like really interested yet. She's like, I see you all the time, dad. My 10 year old gets into it. Like she loves to watch the live streams. In fact, I had to tell her she has to stay off. She can't like roll for giveaways and stuff like that. Cause sometimes I give away stuff on my live streams and she won once. I was like, baby, you, you can't roll on our own mer merchandise. This <laughs> is unwritten rule. You, you can't roll on our own merchandise when I'm trying to give it away to people. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I have to, it makes me, it keeps me on my toes with it. Uh, mm -hmm. And actually we're going to get into entrepreneurial training with children later. But guys, before we go any farther, we've been getting to know Don in the first half of the show and kind of figuring out who he is and what he's about and what he is bringing to the table today. In the second half of the show, we're going to dig farther into his core pillars of faith, family, freedom, business, and fatherhood. We're gonna roll to our sponsor and we'll be right back with more from Don. I'm calling on all men right now to stand up and stand against this horrific crime. It is estimated that over 300,000 children are being sex trafficked in the United States alone every single day. I want you to get on your social media. I want you to follow savinginnocence.org or fightforme.net. Both of these charities are working to end child trafficking in the United States and abroad. You can donate at www.thefallibleman.com slash shop and buy our inhuman trafficking merchandise and all proceeds will be given indefinitely to savinginnocence.org. You can also go to www.savinginnocence.org slash donate and donate directly to Saving Innocence. Men, it is time for us to fight and stop this horrible thing known as human trafficking. And we're back, guys. We're here with Don Abad talking faith, family, freedom, we talked about that some a little and got to know him a little bit. We're going to get into how that applies in business and fatherhood and even more in this second half of the show. Now, Don, to start off the second half of the show, what purchase of $100 or less have you made in the last year that has the most meaningful impact on your life? Oh, that's a, that is a hard one. That is a hard one because we're really, you know, we really haven't been spending a lot in the past two years, to be totally honest with you. I don't want to go too much into this because there's still a lot in the air at this point, but we are planning on switching countries again. And so we're putting preparations in place for that. And I think that in today's crazy world, as a new father, doing what's best for your family is the obviously the most important thing in the world to me. We are putting things in place. And uh, yeah, that's probably the most meaningful purchase I made is uh, taking us one step closer to our big move. Probably not the usual answer that you get to this question, is it? No, but you know what? Every, everybody's very individual. That's one of the things about asking that question. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of books. I've gotten some shoes. What I get? I got a pair of shorts once. The guy raved about a pair of shorts he bought. Like he lives in them now. <laughs> we turned around about like four more pairs after the first one. I was like, wow, those are impressive shorts. Uh -huh. I've never liked any clothes that much. It's uh, people are very individual. So it gives people a chance to share. Also, it gives people ideas it's like, oh, what could benefit me? Maybe a change of scenery is exactly what a lot of people need. Maybe. I've always been amazed how few people actually move around. I've moved my whole life. I've grown up. I've lived all over the United States. I haven't done a lot of international travel, Mexico, Canada, but I've lived from coast to coast in the United States. 
and the amount of people that I meet who have never been outside of like a, you know, hundred mile radius of where they were born. It's just like, maybe you should try that. Just, <laughs> yeah, no judgment. Just maybe, maybe you should give that a try. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think everybody needs a little bit of travel in their lives nowadays. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've all been pent up the last couple of years anyway. I'm thinking some restrictions are starting to ease up a little bit around here. I'm thinking the campsites are going to be packed this year with people just trying to get out of the house. So yeah. Don, let me ask you one of the things, and I generally, it's so funny because I was going through your bio on the service we use to get together on this. And I generally try and ask my own very specific questions. But some of the questions that you listed that you're always ready to answer were like, man, I don't want to just ask him the questions that he listed, but I really want to ask that question. So let me ask you this one that caught my attention. Why should we be proud and unapologetic about our faith, even in our professional lives? Because there's a lot of people who are not comfortable mixing the two. Well, because I think the world is missing people who are un unapologetic about their faith. I mean, I don't really know another way to put it. I mean, I totally get it. And I'm probably super biased in the fact that I've never really held quote unquote real job for more than three months. So, you know, this whole this whole facade, I'll just put it out there. I think it's a facade of professionalism, hiding the things that most matter to you. And I mean, faith. Faith, faith is not like a political thing. People always say that the two things you should never discuss in public or in, in the workplace are religion and, and politics. I can sort of understand politics, especially now, but I don't see why you shouldn't be loud and proud about your faith. I don't see what's so controversial about that, unless you're an adherent of some cult or whatever. But I think, especially if you're Christian, when I put that question out there, about are you unapologetic about your faith as a challenge to people who want to express it but aren't currently. Really, what are you trying to hide? What are you trying to hide about your belief in the Lord? I think there's nothing to lose and everything to be gained, no matter what your profession is. And I understand some places like to clamp down on that more than others. But when I say be loud and proud about what you believe in, about the God that you believe in, about the faith that you subscribe to, I'm not saying preach and try to convert your coworkers. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, whenever I ask people this question, people on my podcast who are loud and proud about their faith and they're in business, I always say, how do you do it? How do you find the confidence and uh, the motivation and the openness to talk about your faith openly? And then they say, they normally say something along the lines of, I, because I don't really talk about it. That's what they say. I don't really talk about my faith so much as I live my faith out. It reminds me of one of my friends when Kimmy and I were living in Atlanta, and we're part of this church group called Focolare, and the members like to gather around during our meetings and talk about what they did to illustrate or demonstrate their faith in their day-to-day -day lives. And there was this one guy, Egyptian guy, and he works as a server, as a waiter in a restaurant, never talks about his faith, and you'd think that as an Egyptian guy, he'd be probably Muslim or something like that, but he just happens to be a Catholic and he never talks about it. But one day a regular at the restaurant just tapped him on the shoulder and then said, Hey Raj, well, you wouldn't happen to be a Christian, would you? And I mean, kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? And that's probably one Christian recognizing the actions of another. But I think the point still stands that when I say live out your faith, I don't mean 
preach from the heavens and try to convert people. I'm just saying, live it out practically. There's, I had an amazing guest who talks about on my podcast, who talks about living the art of Catholicism on a practical level in your day to day. And uh, I don't want to keep this super exclusive to Catholics, but uh, obviously being a Catholic, it's the only experience I can speak from. But we have a very prominent figure, a saint in Catholicism. His name is uh, Jose Maria Escriva. And his entire approach, his entire ministry was all about Opus Dei work of God, putting God in all of your work, no matter how small it is. If you're a plumber, when you fix those sinks, put God in every single project, no matter what it is. And people will sense it off of you. It just creates a different aura around you. People might not be able to put their finger on it, but somebody who puts God into all their work, who prays before every every important action that they take, every important decisions that they make, even if they don't proclaim it out loud, people will feel that. And you'll feel it too. You'll feel more confident. You'll be more humble. Your days will find, you'll find meaning in your day, especially people who are on the grind, people who are employees, people who are working in corporate. One great way, just from speaking to a lot of people I know who unabashedly live out their faith, the best way to really put more meaning into their day-to-day work is by making sure that God, that Jesus is at the forefront of every single thing that they do. And if they do that, what they do, even if it's routine, even if they do it every single day over and over and over again, it's not going to be boring. There's something new to unearth, uncover from each of those tiny, seemingly insignificant experiences. So I hope that answers your question. No, no, that's a great answer. I was enjoying the explanation because I think a lot of, I think that's the biggest fear for a lot of believers is that's how they translate it in their head is, oh, if I have to live my faith out loud in my workspace, that means that I need to be Mr. Rule Keeper, right? I need to be like, oh, you guys shouldn't be gossiping about that. Oh, you you shouldn't say that. People have this idea that we got to become police for everybody Mm -hmm. else's actions or that during our break time, we need to stand up on the desk and start preaching or something like that. I think a lot of people have a lot of confusion about what living your faith out loud translates to. Yeah, no, that's that's very astute observation, I think. So you said that taking a stand is key to making your brand stand out and being different uh, Mm -hmm. people's eyes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I think that's a good question to follow up on the on the faith thing, because that's really what it's all about. Whatever is most important to you, your value system, your beliefs. If you're unashamed about it on your platform, that's what makes you stand out. If we're going to confine this topic to succeeding as a brand, as a personal brand, especially if you're an entrepreneur, if you have services or products to offer to the world, the thing that differentiates you the most is whatever it is that you stand for. And even better, whatever it is that you fight for. People, I mean, if you offer anything, in the world, even if you're just a so-called influencer, if if you just have a podcast and that's all you have and you just do it for fun, you're not even selling anything. If you want to gain more exposure, if you want more eyes and ears on your work, which obviously everybody does, what's going to differentiate you from the other? I don't even know what the number is anymore of all the podcasts that are available. And then we were talking about this before we hit record as well. There's a lot of podcasts, but how many of them are actually active? But the ones that are active, they tend to be really good if people stick to it. They sort of found their voice. And so 
to compete in this marketplace, and this is beyond podcasts, but this is any public persona that you project online. There's so much noise out there. What's going to differentiate you? What's going to attract the right tribe to you? It's when you're unashamed of what you believe in. Otherwise, you become generic. You, you preach the same message. All that surface stuff, everybody said all the surface stuff already. But the deeper, the deeper substance that really provides flavor, provides character to whatever it is that you're talking about as a personal brand, that's what you need to take a stand for. And going beyond that, it's important when you have a brand online that it's even more effective if you don't just stand for a certain set of beliefs, but if you actually have a fight in some issue. And it doesn't have to be controversial. It doesn't have to be political. It doesn't necessarily have to be religious. If you, so here's a practical example we're using right now. I'm in the network marketing industry. That's one of my, it's one of my businesses. My fight is against the traditional network marketing world. There's a lot of podcasts out there, a lot of brands out there where people teach you the usual stuff, how to sell, how to talk to people, how to prospect, how to find new candidates to sell to or to become distributors as part of your downline. That's been said to death and there are a lot of amazing people who already talk about that stuff. And what I do differently, and not like I'm the biggest in the world at this, there's far more amazing people who are along the same lines as me, but my fight and that's what's starting to really grow the momentum in my personal brand for your sovereign downline is the fact that I'm against traditional network marketing. My biggest message right now is basically the answer to this question. It's really two things. Number one, I'm not afraid to talk about the role of faith and the role of God in business. I talk about kingdom entrepreneurship a lot. And, you know, a lot of people talk about that, but my own lived experience with my faith and the fact that my wife is on board with me too, that adds a completely unique flavor, I think, to our brand that you can't really find anywhere else. And tied to that is what I mentioned earlier. I'm against traditional network marketing. I say because we have the power of the internet, because it's so easy to start a podcast, a YouTube channel, a blog, why would you go out and talk to people on the street and do that one by one every single day and risk rejection? in your face every single day when you can create a brand and attract the right people to you instead. And that's available to anybody. You don't have to have a lot of tech skills to be able to start a brand right now. And so I speak out a lot about why people are still sticking exclusively to traditional face-to-face -face cold calling and all of that. That has its place. And I don't want to get too deep into the, the, the industry, but that has its place. But I say, use the power of the internet to build a modern sovereign downline. So that change in my approach to building the business coupled with my unique and particular beliefs alongside my wife creates a brand a network marketing personal brand for us that you won't find anywhere else you can only find this flavor of of brand of a teaching style for me for me and kimmy you won't find that anywhere else so uh, i hope that sort of gets at the heart of what you're asking, that in order to differentiate yourself, the best way to do that is to stop being generic and really say what's on your heart. And don't be afraid of attaching some sort of social message or some sort of controversy railing against what the mainstream or what uh, people traditionally believe about a topic. And then that's going to get eyeballs on you. We're, we're all afraid of cancel culture, man. Oh, yeah. You know, cancel culture is alive and well. Everybody is afraid to, right? They're like, I haven't even touched on cancel culture, but yeah. that is a big one too. Everybody's afraid to stand out because 
if you break the grain too much or in the unpopular opinion, that might be the end to your channel. I'm a, I'm in a mentorship slash training program for YouTube. I call Video Ranking Academy. It's just a tremendous program if you're going to be a YouTuber. But mm -hmm. yeah, they say all the time, it's like you, you've got. Don't be afraid to be controversial. You got to bring you to the camera. You have to bring your individual because there are so many people trying to get on camera. If you're not you, you're just going to fade out. And that includes, they're very open about their faith. And that's something that's very obvious in their program and the YouTube videos they do. That's one of the things they say, look, this is who we are and we're not going to pretend we're not. And if we're not for you, that's fine. But this is who we are. This is what makes us who we are. And I think so many people are afraid to even approach that and just be, every, everybody wanted to be popular growing up, except a few mm -hmm. people. Everybody still wants to be popular. Let's face it, right? Everybody still wants to have the mass approval. And so they're, everybody's afraid to say something that's going to get them canceled or, oh, you may not like this about me or that about me. So I'm going to put that to the side. And yeah, I think we get a lot of generic businesses that way. So yeah, guys, if you're getting something out of this, do the social media thing. You know, I hate to ask you guys. It's the worst part of this whole job. Whatever platform you're following us on right now, hit the like button, subscribe, share this podcast, share the information about Don and what you're learning today and help us out. That's how we keep making videos like that. Now, Don, I want to go in a totally different direction. You, you said some interesting things in your bio that stuck out to me. Why do you believe homeschooling is the future and that modern school is doing more harm than good? I think the question sort of answers itself. I think that the modern schooling system, and I'll be fair, I'll be fair. There are a lot of great schools out there. They're just kind of hard to find. I know that that's the case there in the West because I, I follow a lot of the cultural and political developments, let's say, of in America and in Europe, but definitely here in the Philippines, it's kind of the same story. One story I like to tell is I remember when I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe 13 or so, I was visiting the U.S. with family and my cousin at the time, she was six, I think. And we were on the car, we were going home, it was late at night, and she was showing off her homework to her dad. And she said, hey, dad, my homework today, I just finished it. We had to write, we had to look up, the, you know, a list of the top 10 universities in California. And this girl is, she was six at the time. And her dad was bragging all about it to, to the entire family saying, wow, the, the things that they teach our kids these days, she's so smart. She already knows at six years old what the top 10 universities in California are. What was I doing at six years old? I was playing in the river with my cousins and my friends. I mean, and I was, yeah. And in my 13 year old brain, even I could see the, what was wrong. I was thinking as you should be, you should be playing in the river with your friends at that age. You know, what are you doing at six years old looking up the top 10 universities in California? You know, which, by the way, will probably be a different list altogether by the time you're ready to go to college anyway. But I think that, and by the way, I'm not knocking on my, my, my relatives here. I know that these are good people. That was just the homework at hand. But I think that is exactly what I'm talking about. Schools these days, let's not even talk about, I can talk all day about the indoctrination and all that kind of stuff. We could go, that, go down that rabbit hole later on if you want. What's that? We'll do that on another episode. We'll do that on another episode. But to me, the first thing we got to think about with our schools is, are schools actually teaching kids how to think, 
act, speak, behave in the real world? And in my experience and the many conversations I've had with a lot of people, the answer is no for the majority of schools. And I was talking to one of my mentors. And when I say there's a lot of great schools out there, I was blessed to be in one of those great schools uh, in university. In fact, we had a mentorship system at the college that I went to. And uh, so we get paired with a professor and we talk with them after school or in between classes on whatever we want to talk about. And this particular mentor, he told me that the purpose of university is to teach students how to learn. It's a place for you to learn how to learn because until you turn 23, your mind is still basically jello. It's still being molded. If you're imparting in a young person under 23 from the age of six or whatever it starts at that their entire purpose is to get ready for the workforce or even before that their entire purpose is to get into one of the best colleges in their locality if that's the message that they're being given for a dozen years until they graduate I mean, what what's that going to do to them? And there's a lot of directions I can go with this. I can also talk about a lot of the stuff that Mike Rowe says about the problem with schools and the lack of proper of a proper curriculum to really get them ready in the real world with the hard skills and all that. But I think suffice it to say, I think school should be used to teach you really the trivium, right? You have to learn how to think. You have to learn how to put those thoughts into words and you have to learn how to speak logic, grammar, rhetoric. I think it starts with that. I think the, the, the ancient Greeks and the Romans got it right. Their entire education system, which supposedly the modern schooling system was built on, is exactly that, learning how to learn, learning how to formulate thoughts properly and learning how to enunciate them and, and to verbalize them in a way that gets the other person to understand. How many kids nowadays know how to how to speak a full sentence without going off track or stuttering or any of that. I, if you look at clips of kids back in even the 50s, they seem so much more, they seem so much older than they are because the way they speak was so different. It's not just the vernacular of the time. It's just the education system was a little better, I think, in general back then. Nowadays, we're being taught to get into the best colleges and then after that to get into the best secure, well-paying jobs. Again, it's Harkening back to what I said earlier in the near the beginning of my uh, the, the beginning of the conversation when I asked my professor when my professor asked me or rather what do you want to do after college and I said filmmaker and, he, and then he said so you don't want to make any money that's top of mind with a lot of professors unfortunately are you going to be prepared to make money after you graduate and I think that's the wrong headed way to go about it so I think that parents need to take their children's education to their own hands and I think the best way they can do that unless they find a good school is to homeschool your kids. And to homeschool them in, again, a method, an approach that builds up those soft skills, those skills that matter, not the book smarts, but mm -hmm. the street smarts and the social intelligence, the emotional intelligence, the approach that my wife and I are using right now is Montessori. Montessori mixed in with a little bit of Waldorf. And when our kids get to be a little bit older, I plan to throw in some classical education and, and a great books education as well. But doing it the way it was done in the olden days, let's say, I think there needs to be a resurgence of that way of teaching where it, the children aren't being put in a hurry to get ready for a job after school, but rather to teach them how to learn and be patient. And to here's the other part of the equation to teach them according to whatever their strengths are. I think that's the other big problem with the modern education is that we're given a one size fits all way to learn. 
And that's why a lot of kids lag behind, especially creative types like myself. That's why I was never a fit in the workforce and I was never a fit in school. I don't think, I don't think I'm a dumb guy. I think I'm pretty smart. But if you saw me in school and the way they grade me according to their curriculum, you, would, you probably wouldn't think it because I was a C, B minus student. And I think a lot of people like myself, I think a lot of creatives, a lot of entrepreneurs were in the same boat. They didn't look like the type of person who would succeed according to the standards of modern education. And the truth is, everybody just learns differently. You know that joke that's going around that the valedictorian in the school, he'd be a great person to hire into my company later on? <laughs> yep. That's a joke that's going around, but I think that's unfair to the valedictorian. He has his own strengths. He has his own way of learning. He has his own way of expressing what he knows. Maybe he'll make a good engineer. Maybe he'll be an amazing employee. We need employees. We need great employees. But... I think that the other half, the more creative types, the ones that don't learn well in the conventional educational environment, which is, I think, at least half the world, they need to be taken care of as well. So anyway, without going too far down that rabbit hole, there's a bunch of problems and shortcomings in our modern schooling system with a focus on jobs over actual skills of what it means to be a human being, how to be a well-formed, fully formed human being. And I think that homeschooling at this point in time might be the best option for many parents to bring that sort of education back. I think it was Elon Musk was quoted as saying, I don't have a degree from Harvard or Yale or anything like that, but I got a lot of people who work for me who do. Exactly. There it is. He found what was the correct path for him. And I have a heart for teachers. I've got a lot of friends who are teachers and there are a lot of amazing teachers out there, but the system is not designed, I think, anymore for teachers to be able to teach. It's teach designed for them to help the kids pass the test that they're coming up. That's it. The teacher has very little leeway about what they teach. They're required to teach whatever test has been, this is the test they're going to take and this is the one they have to pass. So I think it's even out of their hands. Um, you were saying that you think we should teach our kids to think more like entrepreneurs. And this really caught my attention yes. because my children have a business. At seven mm -hmm. to 10, my children design t-shirts for children and sell on the redbubble.com as a platform where it's royalty income off their designs, basically. Mm -hmm. But they also, I pay them to read books and do book reports on books on marketing, books on design, books on language, books on entrepreneurship, because these are things I wasn't taught about. I realized at 40 years old, I'm 42 now, I realized at 40 years old how little I knew about some very important things in the world, like how finances actually work, mm -hmm. how business works. These are things I wasn't taught. I was in the public school system here, and it's not something we were taught, taught about. A 401k was something that happened. They said that in the job interview. Otherwise, I was 40 before I actually looked into what that really was and how horrible that was. I just didn't know anything about it. I also didn't know that I had a bunch of 401ks laying around that weren't doing anything from old companies because I didn't know I had to go reinvest that money. So I had 401ks sitting around for years doing nothing for me financially because I didn't know I had to go do anything about it. They just supposedly moved with me. I found one that had been sitting for six years in a, just a cash fund waiting for me to invest it. I'm like, wait, this has been sitting here like this for six years. It didn't make me any, it didn't make dividends. It didn't make, it didn't grow on capital gains or anything. So I started figuring out how much I hadn't been taught. And I started trying to sit down with my kids aside from their homeschooling even because they're getting some great stuff out of their homeschooling. But at this age, I'm trying to teach them to 
learn about the idea of how do you create a business? Their friend did a lemonade stand and they keep, oh, we should do a lemonade stand. I was like, let's talk about why that's not the best idea. Let's talk about having to have stock. Let's talk about having to invest in stock beforehand. What happens if you have a really good day and you run out all of it, but you can still sell for the rest of the day, but now you don't have any stock. They're like, we should do coffee. Coffee's popular. Said, okay. You're going to, where are you going to buy all the coffee? What pots are you going to use? How are you going to keep it warm outside? I started asking all these questions and then comparing it to the idea of royalty income or getting paid for your ideas. And they're like, huh, but they're asking questions and we're having conversations that you don't generally have with seven and 10 year olds. And it's great. I'm loving it. And I saw that you were talking about, we need to teach our kids to think like entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. I think that word, not everybody truly gets that word yeah, because it's being used really heavily. It's become a very it word in the last couple of years. Everybody is an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. No, I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't mind heading that direction. And I want to be heading that direction with my business as I grow right now. That's not a fitting term for what I am doing. Yeah. So can you talk about that just a little bit? We'll start to wrap this up. Yeah, there's a lot I can talk about with regards to what it really means to be an entrepreneur. Again, using network marketing as sort of a, a way to, to illustrate this point, the common language being used or the common marketing language being used to attract people into a network marketing company's be your own boss, become an entrepreneur. When really network marketers aren't entrepreneurs, here's something that I also stir a lot of feathers with. Uh, I always tell people, if you get into a network marketing business, you're not an entrepreneur, you're a salesman. And that really gets on their nerves because a lot of people hate being described as salespeople. And I always say, if, if you don't, if you don't accept the word sales, if you think it's an icky thing to be a salesperson, you're never going to succeed in this business. If you want to be an entrepreneur, I think the best way to do that in the modern world is to create that brand and to offer services in front of your network marketing business to build a tribe. And again, that's a whole different thing, but I think I made my point. There are different, kind of like you said, entrepreneur sort of a catch-all term when really an entrepreneur is really just a person that creates, a person that innovates, a person that thinks out of the box. And before I forget your original point, you were talking about teaching your kids how to become entrepreneurs or to think like entrepreneurs. And to me, I don't even like to limit entrepreneurship to the actual profession or career of uh, being a business person. Because when I say entrepreneur, and this might only be my definition, but when I say entrepreneur, I think of anyone who's able to think out of the box and be creative. In fact, I always say that artists and entrepreneurs, creatives and entrepreneurs are cut from the same cloth. These are people who don't allow whatever is established, the established boundaries to dictate the way that they proceed or make decisions. So here's a good example. In our company, in our network marketing company, one of our business partners, his son grew up in our community. So he was trained to think creatively. He grew up not being, he grew up and he wasn't raised and he wasn't put into a school where you're trained to be an employee. So this guy decided to actually go into corporate life after school and he loves his work. He doesn't want to be his own boss. He likes working for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But there was a point in his career where he realized that he's being underpaid and spending too much time at the office for something that doesn't need time at the office for as long as he's being put in the office. So he walked into his, his boss's office so one day and then he said, you know what, instead of being full-time on a salaried position in, in, in this role, 
can you give me a flexible work from anywhere schedule and pay me contractually or per project, something along those lines. So in short, this guy managed to cut his working time down by at least two thirds. He's working two thirds less than he did before. And he's being paid more or less the same per month because of the nature, the particular nature of his work he gets paid a lot per project. And now he has time to be able to do the other things that he wants to do in life. That is a guy who thinks like an entrepreneur and he has no intention of ever starting a business on his own. Maybe things have changed now. That was a few years ago, but I think you catch my drift here. Entrepreneurship is just a way of thinking, a way of approaching life of seeing something and then saying, okay, I see that for what it is, but why does it have to be that way? I see the contract and I see that everybody else adheres to this contract, but why? What is the rationale behind it? And if there's a better way to accomplish the goals that are set out before me without having to adhere to the current constructs and rules, I'm going to ask if that can be a thing. I'm going to go into my boss's office and ask for a different arrangement because I can still get the job done, perhaps even better doing things differently. And so that's entrepreneurship on a practical level by a guy who never wants to start a business in his life. And I think if you train kids to think that way, to think out of the box, to look outside the boundaries of what everybody's telling them should be the norm, you're going to raise very, very successful kids. It doesn't matter what they get into. They're going to find a solution to get the best out of whatever endeavor they decide to pursue. What's next for Donabod? Right now, it's just a matter of doubling down on the brand. Again, just getting used to all the new hardware and all the new platforms that my wife, Kimmy, and I are using to build up the sovereign brand. And really nothing to pitch here, except I, I want to bring on more amazing guests on the Sovereign podcast and to really get our network marketing venture, really supercharging the brand by being cons being a little more consistent with the podcast. Because as I mentioned earlier, we're planning a big move in a, in a couple of months and I've been taking my eye off the ball a little bit with my Your Sovereign Downline podcast. So I really want to get back on track with that. And that's really it. Just create a bigger presence and uh, find more amazing people to speak to because I know that that's going to pay dividends in the long run. So that's really it. Just a lot of brand building and a lot of getting used to this whole new process of juggling business with fatherhood with a two-year-old who thinks he's a teenager. <laughs> that That's really it. It's just adjusting to this new world. Okay. Is donabod.com the best place to find you? Yep. Donabod.com. You can also send me a message on Instagram. It's at real Donabod, at real Donabod. Unless you're a spammer or a scammer, I reply to every single message. And guys, we'll have all of Don's links in the description in the show notes, just like always, because we want to make sure that you guys can find Don wherever he is. So all that will be right there, including podcast links and your YouTube channel and everywhere else. Go over and check out what Don is doing, guys. This is a man who is right here at the heart of the foul man. He's on the front lines trying to be a dad, trying to be a husband, trying to be a man, trying to live his terms of how he thinks his life should be, exercising his faith and his freedom. Guys, check out his podcast. I was listening to it earlier. And as always, be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com 
for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.